0: Welcome to the Young IPA Podcast, I'm James, this is Pete. G'day everyone, I like what you've done with your hair there, James. Thank you, something slightly different, but uh, Mm. it's just getting a bit long. But anyway, episode 178, I mean this is, uh, it's lockdown number two, Electric Boogaloo here in Victoria. And last (laughs) time, last first lockdown grew the hair out, Want to see what that looked like. This lockdown, putting it back and having a bit of stubble. So, you know, don't know what you think, don't know what the people think, but uh, just experimentation. But anyway, it is... July 28th. It is episode 178. I have a microphone plugged in for this episode, which is uh, an improvement on last week. Sorry about that for everyone, but definitely plugged in this time and apologies again. Big show coming up. We're going to be talking to IPA director of policy, Gideon Rosner, the man who knows more about the Peter Reed case than anyone in Australia. Well, outside of (laughs) the lawyers and courts, but he's Mm. equal footing with them. We're going to be getting Pretty deep into the Peter Red stuff, we're going to be running through some of the issues of the day with him as well, and then maybe I'll explain what's going to happen when we're about to lead into the interview, but it's going to be something slightly different, and for the full experience, you're going to want to be an IPA member, but we'll give you more hmm. details later in the show. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the debt stuff that's got announced, the Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act as well. Peter, anything that you are
1: looking forward to in the show? Uh, I'm looking forward to my hero as usual uh, I won't give away who it is But they exhibit not just moral fortitude But also they're a real sort of narky little smart ass which Oh, i so always... it's your hero, mate <laughs> You don't cover the first criteria But uh, no, nah, just kidding, mate yeah, I would so, say mate, I'm closer on the
0: second one What's that, sorry? I would say I'm much closer to the second part Than the first part of the that, criteria
1: That's what I mean, that was what I was saying uh, So, but sorry. yeah, that's all right <laughs> <laughs> why, why would you? Waiting for my turn to speak that's it that's what we should have called this podcast all right uh
0: sorry let's get into it because last week okay the mood's pretty high right now but last week was a very devastating week for freedom of speech in australia with peter ridd uh the federal court coming through with their decision on the peter ridd case they found the J uh, they found in favor of james cook university and all right so for people that don't know the history of the peter ridd maybe they're new to this podcast maybe they're new to the ipa For the people who don't know the history of Peter Reed, so Peter Reed was sacked for serious misconduct back in 2018 for publicly criticising some of the science coming out from James Cook University, his employer, about the Great Barrier Reef. Uh, He did this on Sky News with Alan Jones. He also did this in a chapter of the IPA's book, Climate Change Facts 2017. Still available if you want to go back and read that and, you know, be a part of history, I guess. Anyway, he was fired, not because of uh, what he's... Yeah, he was fired because of what he said. It wasn't the science, but it was the fact that he wasn't being collegial. There was part of his employment contract that said he had to be collegial with his colleagues and talking about them in such a way in the media and in books was seen to be uncollegial, so he was fired. Now, obviously, that is a huge chilling effect for freedom of speech because, look, every single invention or discovery is not collegial with scientists in your field. Mm. You're saying that object- like what is being discussed and what is thought is not right anymore, here's this new thing. Collegiality is
1: an impossible standard.
0: Yeah, exactly. And uh, also a stupid one. Like why should universities be, why should university academics be collegial in a field where they're trying to discover the truth?
1: It's not possible. If it's like you've wasted your life thinking Keynesianism is a great economic theory, then there's no way to break that to someone that's that's collegial, (laughs) they're always going to be upset. Yeah, So
0: now what this decision from the federal court means is that if a university feels that what you're saying is too embarrassing to the university or other academics in the university, you can be fired. Whether or not it's true, whether or not what you're saying is correct, you can be fired for it, which is a very like even if climate change isn't your favorite thing to discuss in the world, that in itself, that's got to send some chills down your spine. Like that is not a place where we're going to get some good higher learning here in Australia.
1: Absolutely. And I was genuinely surprised because I thought, as you said, that idea still roughly held true. It's in his employment agreement. He was supported by the NTEU, which is the, uh, what are they called? The National Tertiary Education Union. So he had like, you know, left-wing unions on his side, but they still overturned it. I mean, I'm not obviously a legal person, but yeah, it was, it was my initial reaction was surprise. And now, yeah, sort of concerned about what's going to happen. So yeah, we're going to be talking to this about.
0: Uh, we're going to be talking about this with Gideon. So I don't want to go over too many things over and over again. But here's why it is important. So obviously, there's a the freedom of speech stuff which we talked about. But then, if you do want to talk about climate change. Think about how important it is that we know every single fact that's going on right now, especially with energy policy. And we're going to be talking about the uh, Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act later in the show. If we don't exactly know what the science is around our effect on the climate and our effect on the Great Barrier Reef, that is a terrible thing. And it's going to cost millions of dollars. Either way, it falls. And people's lives are going to be deeply affected. And if Barack Obama, when he came out to Australia and said the Great Barrier Reef is dying, my daughter might not be able to visit it. If he's wrong then we are losing millions of dollars in tourism if that's the international view of what the Great Barrier Reef is. Mm. And it's not even true.
1: Yeah, of course. And banning people from certain agricultural practices and banning coal mines and all the all sorts of things like that. Um, and if and if you take another magic, massive policy uh, issue that we've got at the moment, coronavirus, I mean, Collegiality I mean we want people Juking it out on this stuff You know to find out What's true So uh, yeah, yeah like Collegiality right. would have said That
0: uh, don't wear masks Because it was collegial To say don't wear masks In April So if someone yeah. says Actually that people Should wear masks That's not being collegial
1: Yeah no exactly right And, and there's a million things Like this And we absolutely Need to have people Juking it out And I think that uh, And as you say Yeah billions and billions Of dollars of public policy Decisions are being made Which will ruin Or make livelihoods So yeah That's an issue
0: now, Pete, you mentioned that the uh, NTEU was on our side with the Peter Reid stuff. Uh, yes. And it should have been open and shut case. Like, there is academic freedom. There should be academic freedom in Australia. There should be freedom of speech. Now, here is from paragraph 94 from the judgment put out by the federal <laughs> court, right? This is disgusting. So paragraph 94, Ooh. why they decided against Peter Red? There is little to be gained in resorting to historical concepts and definitions of academic freedom. Whatever the concepts once meant, it has evolved to take into account contemporary circumstances, which present a challenge to it, including the internet, social media, and trolling. None of which would have informed the views of persons such as John Stuart Mill, John Locke, Isaiah Berlin, and others who have written on the topic. So the federal court have said, you know what? We don't need the enlightenment anymore. We don't need the history of freedom of speech anymore because we have, they didn't have Twitter mobs. Yeah. Sorry, all the Prince Twitters Twitter. they came up with, all the big ideas, that's gone because they didn't have Twitter mobs. So they don't really know what freedom of speech is.
1: Twitter is a more powerful force than freedom of speech and academic freedom. I'd like to see some of those blokes on Twitter. That would be one lit account. You know, you all sort of think about historical figures, how they'd go on Twitter. I'd like to see Berlin and Churchill and all the rest of it. But yeah, I mean, that's just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, what, what other ma- major ideas of the West are we going to do away with because of there's Twitter and there's or Facebook and Instagram, you know, should we not have democracy then because Twitter mobs or should we not have, I can't even think of any, religious freedom because the of rule Twitter of mobs. Law. I mean, that's, yeah, the rule uh, of
0: law. I mean, that's a pretty important one at the moment.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. right. So, I mean, that's unbelievable that, you know, two out of three judges who are undoubtedly really smart with think it that that's fair enough. Yeah. The Federal
0: Court of Australia thinks that John Stuart Mill is not as convincing as Prince Liberal Hater 420 on Twitter. That's where we're <laughs> at right now.
1: Anyway, so that we're going to be talking about
0: that deep dive with Gideon. We're going to get really into the weeds on that. But that is what happened last week and what people should know about it. Okay, let's talk about coronavirus updates because there's two big things. Uh, one in Victoria and one in New South Wales. I think we'll start with Victoria, Peter.
1: Okay, yep. We'll go into Victoria. So now, James, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo ordered COVID patients Cuomo. to nursing. What, what is it again? Sorry, that slipped out. Cuomo. <laughs> I should <laughs> have, have I been say? collegial. I should have just let it happen. You said Cuomo. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd rather get it right, actually. to be fair, I don't know how to pronounce that bloke's name. So Cuomo, you're saying? Cuomo. Cuomo, you're saying? Okay. Yeah. Cuomo ordered COVID patients to nursing homes in March. They're still trying to work out how many thousands of people that decision killed. Uh, care residents account for nearly half the deaths linked to COVID-19 in Sweden. That was clear in May. It happened in the UK. We knew back in March, April, even February, that aged care homes were particularly, what's the word, vulnerable to coronavirus. I in think Victoria- we knew that. I think we've known that the whole existence of
0: humanity, like old people get sicker much quicker than younger people. So if there's an outbreak, keep them safe.
1: That's right. So not since February, since 100,000 years ago. Good point, Adam and Eve
0: had a pretty good idea of what was going on. Like they, <laughs> yeah.
1: The second we lost our gills, we
0: figured out, hang on, we need to keep old people safe.
1: We need to keep old people safe. Exactly right. Common sense. Now, in Victoria, we now have 500 cases linked to seven aged care homes. Over 400 health workers have tested positive. Do you know, James, when the Andrews government decided that people couldn't work in aged care facilities? I do not know, babe. This week. (laughs) So, uh, you can't sit on a park bench by yourself or we'll fine you. You can't go drive 30 k's to get butter chicken, which we'll talk more about later, or we'll fine you, but people could bounce around from care home to care home up until like yesterday. So yep. uh, just to add it to the other, th- uh, one more thing, and I don't want to be repetitive, but one more thing that this government has stuffed up while asking people in Victoria to make massive, much bigger sacrifices than everyone else in the country.
0: Yeah, I was going to say this for Pete's not fine, but since we're on it now, this whole thing of parading out the people like who drive 30 kilometres for butter chicken or mm. Karen from Brighton, who we're going to talk about, parading them as the biggest villains of coronavirus. Like, as far as I can see, they don't actually have coronavirus. Now, they shouldn't break restrictions, but they don't have coronavirus. Now, I would say that the people, biggest villains are the people who are allowing sick people to go into aged care facilities, which was the number one thing we shouldn't have done. I think that mm. gets, instead of these press conferences being like, here's the stats, and by the way, here are these three morons, I think there should be a little bit more accountability.
1: Well, Daniel, Andrew, Daniel Andrews is currently engaging in one of the greatest gaslighting thing gaslighting campaigns that you could ever possibly imagine in the sense that every day he gets up and says that it's a Victorians' fault for what's happening when in fact, you know, pretty much this whole second wave is his government's fault. And it's kind of impressive the extent to which he's just sticking to his story, you know. Mm. We all know someone who's breaking the rules will go from door to door. He's having a crack at Bunnings' Karen, which as you said, we'll get onto in a, uh, later on. Uh, but yeah, no, that's definitely his line and he's sticking to it. <laughs> yep, fair enough. All right, uh, my... Okay, so over to New South Wales. Now,
0: today, there is a uh, Black Lives Matter demonstration. The Supreme Court have said that it is... Uh, it shouldn't go ahead. New South Wales government said it's the most dangerous act that anyone, anybody could do during a pandemic. The organisers went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, uh, like said, there should be no protest. There's police on hand. It, we're recording, what is it, 11.15 in the morning, so we don't exactly know what's going down. I did see on Sky News that it is absolutely pelting down in Sydney overnight and this morning, so that might impact people's ability to get out there i guess the newsworthy one would be obviously to compare it to the black lives matter protests in the wake of the george floyd uh killing which politicians were a bit silent on and now it just seems to be a bit more heavy-handed like do not come out which i'm not you know i don't love the idea of people being fined for demonstrating their right to freedom of speech but i think there's a bit more acknowledgement this time that if the law applies then it should apply to everyone not just how big your political cause is
1: yeah i take that point i i think that the reason that they're sort of saying no to it this time is that it is absolutely on the nose with the public and i think that this will not do any favors for their cause to be honest not that that's the main concern but just to point that out um and i think that that's why they're stopping it i mean i i don't really see they say they're going to protest in small groups of 20 uh and uh what's it called socially distance and all that um and it is and it currently in New South Wales at the moment, there's a 500 person limit on unseated, unticketed, unticketed indoor gatherings uh, by the New South Wales government. Uh, I don't. I'm sort of kind of in favour of them. We had like the six BLM protests around the country, and we haven't had any proof that any cases were linked to that. To that. Well, there was protests. some, but
0: yeah, it was a bit marginal.
1: They were sort of they were people that were infectious at the protest, and the health authorities are saying, well, wow, it didn't it didn't they didn't get it there and they didn't spread it to anyone um and you can you can argue the toss on whether or not that's true i suppose but for me it's like if you're going to have groups of 500 people why can't you have small groups of 20 people scattered around the place um it's not i mean <laughs> i don't there's i don't know. necessarily think that indigenous people are disadvantaged in our legal system but um yeah i'm kind of like i, I don't see what why that can't go ahead basically is what i'm saying i guess
0: yeah, if they follow the health advice then obviously it should go ahead. So yeah, interesting to see. Again, it's 11.15 so we don't know what's happening but yeah. if there's some big story,
1: we'll be back next week and we'll talk about it. And maybe okay. maybe they won't follow the social distancing. Maybe it'll, it'll get out of control but if you know if they follow the social I'm distancing- I'm always skeptical
0: it... of protest doing that sort of stuff. Like the second <laughs> you get that many people in one room, no matter what, things yeah. fall apart. That can happen. That. All right. Uh, over two. So last week we had Josh Frydenberg's economic and fiscal update. There is a $270 billion in deficits. Commonwealth gross debt is going to grow to $850 billion by the middle of next year. It, we are definitely on track for a trillion dollars of debt and the budget won't return to surplus for 20 years. So that's a lot of big numbers and... I'm definitely of the generation that has only ever grown up in government debt, Sorry, some of it is a bit in one ear and out the other, but it is important because these are things that young people are going to have to pay off for the rest of their lives, and you just think about how much of an economic effect that coronavirus restrictions have already had on young people across the country, with uh, 812,000 Australians between the ages of 18, uh, 15 and 24 are unemployed, underemployed, or have left the labor force since March, they now have all this extra debt they're going to have to pay off for the rest of their lives. So... Pretty grim week.
1: It was a grim week. uh, And as you're right, it's a massive humanitarian crisis that's unfolding and it is impacting young people more. We did notice, though, uh, the emergence a little bit of the old culture wars with Frydenberg saying, not everyone is a Keynesian and thinking about income support is important to go to the supply side. Thatcher, Reagan, that's an inspiration, Frydenberg told reporters on Friday, so that's pretty good. Of course, that is part of the solution to this economic problem. Once this is over, and even before it's over, we should be thinking about cutting red tape and uh, making sure we don't have amongst the highest energy costs in the world, and amongst the highest and, and the highest minimum wage in the world. Now, interestingly, his leader Scott Morrison sort of came back to him a little bit on this, and actually sort of slapped him down a bit and said, "A uniquely, we're leading an Australian response to this. A uniquely Australian response, and that Australian response required us to address the supply side issues in our." Economy. So he was sort of knocking it back. I don't think. I mean, this is why I sort of get angry when lefties say we Australia's a neoliberal. Uh, what's the word? Dystopia. I mean, Scott Morrison is basically repudiating the memory, not the memory, but repudiating the legacy of Reagan and Thatcher. Uh, yeah, fair he, should have, he should have a picture of them in his wallet. I reckon.
0: Yeah, exactly. Just a constant reminder. And they're both looking at him, angry. Like, is this seriously how you're doing this? But I yeah. am sort of with you. Just. So Josh Roanenberg, good on him for praising those two figures and hoping that mm. they lead the economic recovery, but can, can we see it? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll get on into a second bit where they do make a nice um, a, a reduction in red tape. But yeah, I mean, well, I'd love to... I'd love... I mean, how would Maggie Thatcher be running this, you know, yeah, this whole thing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some would argue better, but um, yeah. No, I mean, it would be great. Let's see more of it. More of yeah, it, Josh. I, just, I, I like
0: the... What is it, lift service? But let's see it. (laughs) I mean, I'm not going (laughs) to get like it's it's basically one of those. You know, hopefully there is stuff, but at the moment it's a bit when you've got a dog and you just sort of like wave that there's a tennis ball and throw it just to give them that five (laughs) seconds of joy. Like eventually I'm going to need a tennis ball. But all right, let's move on to this act, which might be the first of the tennis balls.
1: This is this is Thatcher-esque. This change to Australia's Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act. now, last week they made an announcement with the federal government that they were going to move to a single touch approvals process for mining and major projects. Now, what that means is that uh, a lot of often these major projects have to deal with state and federal government regulation, but a single touch process will streamline that. Morrison claims it's going to reduce climate waiting times from 3.5 years on average to 21 months, which is good uh, to read from the media release develop Commonwealth led national environmental standards, which will underpin new bilateral, bilateral agreements. Uh, Now, this is a huge win for the IPA because, of course, this is something that we have talked about a lot. Key and Hussey, of course, identified that the size of this act has grown 445% since the year 2000 when it was introduced. And also the IPA established that the lawfare provision of the EPBC put $65 billion of investment at risk by holding up major projects in court for a total of 10,100 days, which is over 28 years, which is actually more years than we've had since it was introduced. So they're doing more than a day a day, which is a great effort for them. Uh, so anyway, a huge. This is one of the things we talk about: reducing red tape to help the economic recovery get back on track. And this is something that the IPO has been huge on.
0: Yeah, and also regulations under the Act have risen by 445% since 2000. So it's this, it's this swamp monster that only gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So it's good to know that it's getting back because, as yeah, as pretty much everyone said the the number one thing for the next couple of years is going to be getting Australians back to work this is a act that definitely gets in the way of that so hopefully it goes bye-bye
1: I was on Hardgrave with Hardgrave and and Bishop and and they both really high rating show and they both uh, said I mentioned this and they both go yeah I really regret fighting for that sorry about that well they they felt (laughs) real regret
0: so credit to them good to it good for them Let's move over to heroes and villains. This is, uh, we'll start off with the heroes, the Grunt the Pig freedom snort, the thing that we, uh, the snort that we distribute to those that have stood up for freedom and good things around the world. Obviously, Grunt the Pig, the pig from Wangaratta, friend of the show that mm. got fined for being a pig. Couldn't shame that's him a freedom fighter. Don't know what would be Pete, who is your hero of the week?
1: Well, I mentioned at the top of the show, James, that uh, my hero was not just a hero for fighting the good fight, but because he was a bit of a smartass. I'll get to that towards the end of the my hero. Now, my hero is Nick Sandman. Sandman? Sandman? Come on, yep. names boy. Which one? Yeah, you got it. Yeah. But which one? I said. Sandman. Sand- you go. Yeah, Sandman. Sandman. All right. There we go. One of the Covington kids. So, in case you missed that story, which you probably didn't, but just in case you did, they were at a March for Life in Washington a couple of years ago. A Native American gentleman approached the group of kids playing the drum and Sandman was filmed smiling at this and let... The social media and mainstream media pile on begin, uh, massive massive social media pile on, death threats, all the bells and whistles, celebrities trying to invite violence, incite violence, etc, uh, etc. Et now, he is suing all these mainstream media outlets who uh, basically spread lies about him. The CNN, Washington Post, there's more to come. Sandman this week uh, received a payout from the Washington Post. In January, he received a payout from CNN, obviously those uh under undisclosed sums of money so it's great to see someone take on the mob and win james yeah but, but considering it was a 250 million dollar defamation lawsuit
0: what he did get paid was probably more than like what was in their pocket at the time it Wouldn't wasn't they? like you know well, it wasn't like like oh uh, here's 40 bucks like it was, if they settled out of court on a 250 million defamation lawsuit that's yeah. a that's a spicy meatball
1: yeah yeah a lot of money it's yeah, a better yeah, 18th
0: except- birthday party than i had let me tell you that much
1: how was your 18th birthday party james I-
0: I don't actually remember. Probably not for the reasons that people are going to assume. Not in a good way. I just think it was slightly uneventful.
1: Okay, well, there you go. Didn't get paid
0: out of a $250 million defamation lawsuit. That's for sure.
1: Exactly right. Now, the bit that I like the most about this, apart from him taking on the mob and winning, is that Brian Stelter, who's the media uh, correspondent at CNN, he's got himself into a spot of bother. He retweeted a tweet saying uh, that Salmon didn't get as much as they, didn't get that much basically in the settlement, which is a, technically a breach of the confidentiality rules of the settlement. Salmon's lawyer said this retweet by Brian Stelter may have cost him his job. It's called breach of confidentiality agreement. Brian Stelter is a liar. I know how to deal with liars. Salmon himself tweeted, Brian Stelter just can't learn some basic lessons over at CNN. I can't decide if it's worse to be Brian Stelter or believe Brian Stelter. He was never at any court hearing or meeting I was. So why does he act like he knows anything? So bit narky, bit, yep. bit verbal, bit gobby. I like that Uh,
0: I am not the biggest fan of defamation law in general I usually just think it's the tool of the rich To silence people beneath them But on the other hand Salmon, get paid, dude I mean, (laughs) just think about how crappy that week was for him Get paid Yeah
1: Well, he has uh,
0: My hero of the week So, I've been on the New York Times op-ed I don't know What what is it? Uh, What's the word when they overtake a ship? I can't. I ever take a ship? Yeah, um, mutiny. Sorry, geez, that, that's oh. the mind blank of a million years. But anyway, the I was like a cover of the New York Times, uh, and it nearly spread over to the Wall Street Journal. So, two hundred eighty journalists, editors, and other employees of the Wall Street Journal and their parent company, Dow Jones, criticised the Wall Street Journal's opinion section. They said, uh, you know, they, technically they're trying to say, okay, there should be more fact checking, especially with regards to Mike Pence's article about coronavirus. Wall Street Journal have said this is cancel culture coming for the Wall Street Journal and they put out a big editorial saying they will not bow, which is good. Uh, The Journal explained it was probably inevitable that the wave of progressive cancel culture would arrive at the Journal and as it has nearly every other cultural, business, academic and journalistic institution. But we are not the New York Times. In the opinion pages, we'll we'll continue to publish contributors who speak their minds within the tradition of vigorous reasoned discourse, which is good because I do not want... Cancel culture coming through opinion sections. We need all ideas in the free market of ideas, no matter like and we can just debate them once they're said, but the fact that you want people that people want to like cut off the ideas before they're even expressed is grim. Very, very grim. If you don't like something, so, don't read it.
1: Or exactly argue against not. it.
0: Don't get it cancelled.
1: The opposite the other side of the coin of cancel culture is coward culture, James. And the more of these organizations that don't do that, the better. And I'm gonna talk about an organization in a sec that is a coward, so Good that we mentioned a positive one. Very good. Cross over to villains. Let's do it, villains. All right, right. so uh, villains, the Extinction Rebellion Fake nudie Run Villainy Award. Roll the tape, Saul. As Extinction Rebellion protests enter their sixth day. There you go, that was a fake nudie run, which is why we award the opponents of freedom villain of the week. I'm just scrolling up to my thing here. All right, so my villain this week is Netflix. Here's a tweet. Oh, no, you go first, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the introducer. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'll go first. Let's change it up. Let's go crazy. All right, Netflix. Bloody Netflix. Two days ago, they tweeted... Well, I don't know if it was two days ago, but recently they tweeted, in the real world, trans people are in real danger. That's why it's so important that we listen to and trust trans kids while also building a kinder world for them to grow up in. And they put out a transgender FAQ. Now, this is not about transgender people at all. It's just about juxtaposing that with another tweet that they also not a tweet that they put out but a report about an action they have taken in turkey netflix turkey has cancelled a new series before filming began after the turkish government objected to a gay character in the script now netflix says it remains deeply committed to our members and the creative community in turkey and that the company is very excited about the project that are uh, ongoing and will soon start shooting i bet they are excited netflix it's just that there won't be any gay people in them so netflix are effectively i mean First, firstly, this is just hypocrisy, and uh, that's bad. But also, if they're going to keep making films in Turkey and and getting licences from the Turkish government, aren't they sort of perpetuating the myth that gay people don't exist in Turkey? No,
0: but but Pete, they they tweeted that other stuff. That's that right. can be true. They tweeted the other stuff.
1: They tweeted that other stuff in the free West, where there's absolutely no cost in tweeting about diversity. So Netflix being cowards and and even much worse than being cowards and being hypocritical, like sort of low-key perpetuating the myth that gay people don't exist, you are my villain this week.
0: Yeah, fair enough. There's like, whenever these stories come out and you just, like the fact that every organisation in America just embraces Pride Month, it's always just refreshing to see just how deeply these corporations care, how compassionate they are, how open-hearted they are towards their bottom dollar. Yeah. They love it.
1: I get I get that it's hard to do business in repressive countries and you've got to make, you know, and there's an argument saying, well, you know, they're employing all these people in Turkey and stuff like that. Uh, and I'm not necessarily saying they should stop doing that. Just stop shoving it down my throat, how virtuous you are. Yes. Also. All
0: right. My villain this week. Sorry, new podcast coming out from the New York Times, Pete. Oh. And I'm going to read you uh, the bio. And oh, no. I just want to let you sort of, you know, talk our way through it sentence by sentence. Okay. So here it is. We know American public schools do not guarantee each child an equal education. So far, so good. No public schools is it. the same. Like, we need to make them better so everyone's getting good education. So far, so good. Two decades of school reform initiatives have not changed that. Still good. But when China Joffa walds a reporter, looked at inequality in education, she saw that most reforms focused on whose schools were failing, black and brown kids. Still good. We need to talk about class because if you put white kids in predominantly black schools that are failing, those white kids just fail the same. It is more about class than anything else. Still good. But what about the two? But what about who the schools are serving? In this five-part series, she turns her attention to what is arguably the most powerful force in our schools. Now, Pete, what do you reckon the most powerful force is?
1: Great question. Teachers I unions, think-
0: maybe. Uh, big government, uh, rigid regulations, all things. Any you want to offer?
1: Well, in the public sector system, if you're talking about a problem, it's teachers' unions. I'd okay. Say. Cool.
0: All right. So teachers' unions. All right. So I'll, oh, okay. But
1: I turn their attention she turns her attention
0: to what is arguably the most powerful force in our schools: white parents. <laughs> <laughs> nice white parents is a new podcast from Serial Productions, brought to you by the New York Times, about the 60-year relationship between white parents and the public school down the block. What a load of crap! That- How mean-spirited is that? How just openly racist is that? <laughs> a load of crap
1: like parents are really important in, in education yeah but like i don't so what's the argument so there's five there's a five-part series that only white parents care about their kids education or no it's more.
0: so she spends the first episode looking at uh in her in a suburb in new york there was this zoning reform that would have meant that a lot of black kids came to a white school and it was defeated and hmm. She's gone. So this zoning reform, which I think happened in the '70s, means that only white parents—sorry, uh, that w- nice white parents—are perpetuating racism by making sure the black kids can't get into good schools. Which is completely mean-spirited. It is not the point. It is not what's going to save people from bad education. But mm. it does look good on
1: Twitter. That is that is that is absolute rubbish. And the thing that costs poor students in the United States, including obviously many black students, is the government. And they should just have charter schools for all the tens of millions of students in those schools. Yes, because there
0: is absolutely no reason why the public education, your education, should be
1: determined by what street you grew up in. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly right, all James. Right. Thank you for, for alluding to that podcast, which I will not listen to.
0: Yeah, n- nor shall I. I listen to a lot of podcasts. This will not be one of them. All right, that is it for the start of the show. Uh, but sorry, we are g- now go to interview with Gideon. But before I go to the interview with Gideon some podcasts that you should be listening to, not mm. the Nice White Parents in the New York Times, but what you should be listening to not only this one, not only Looking Forward, our other weekly podcast. Uh, hopefully Hold by down. now a lot of people have been listening to Australia's Future, which is a conversation between uh, executive director here at the IPA, John and former prime minister, Tony Abbott. Had two episodes come out so far. That is some in-depth discussion. That is... Mm. That is what Pete and I aspire to. We're not anywhere (laughs) near there yet, but there's an in-depth discussion about what is the Australian way of life? How do we protect it? What are the new things we're learning about the Australian way of life through coronavirus and how do we get things back to normal? So episode three out Thursday, episode one and two already available, Australia's Future, wherever you're listening to this right now, Australia's Future is also available. It's also on YouTube and Facebook. We've also got five favorite books. Dr. Bella DeBerra, one of the very best friends of the show that we do have, has been doing a great job talking with Greg Sheridan at the moment a uh, bunch of new guests coming up in the future about Greg Sheridan's five favourite books so we've had uh, three episodes out so far I think it is and more coming out over the next couple of weeks so make sure you're downloading those now this interview with Git
1: oh sorry Pete I was just going to say my only complaint with Abbott and Roskam is that they're too short you know I want I want four hours Joe Rogan you know not like not all the things Joe Rogan does on his podcast yeah. but I want, lo- I want thank like thank Dan Andrews like-
0: you can thank Dan Andrews for that one it was just about getting it done before the lockdown came back in again but it's a really really great conversation and people should be listening to it now with this interview with Gideon what we're going to be doing we're going to be talking to Gideon mainly about Peter Red and a few other stuff as well but here's what's slightly different so Mm. a lot of of people listen to the show are IPA members a lot of people who listen to the show are also not IPA members We're going to be talking to Gideon for about 25 or 30 minutes and we're going to stop there and then IPA members on an email from Pete tomorrow will be able to get Uh, the rest of the interview. So if you really want to learn more about this Peter Ritz stuff, we're going to be getting into the nitty-gritty of legalese and like what comes next, what are Peter's options going forward. We're going to be getting into all that with Gideon Rosner, but it's only going to be available to IPA members. So details coming soon, but if you're an IPA member, we'll let you know. If you're not an IPA member, head on over to ipa.org.au slash join uh, you can join in a number of different uh, ways that so we've got membership packages set up and it's a really good membership and it's 12 months long and then you get to listen to the rest of this podcast. All right, let's go to Gideon. Okay, we now welcome on to the show a very fired up Director of Policy here at the IPA, Gideon Rosner. Sorry for those technical difficulties, but we do have you now. How are you going?
2: Oh, look, I'm all right. Oh, excuse me, I'm all right now. Uh, but as you said, the, uh, the task of setting up uh, the studio under house arrest uh, isn't particularly easy and not a challenge I'm dealing particularly well with. But we are working, I apologise for picture quality, but uh, this is what I'm reduced to in Daniel
0: Landers' Victoria, making hostage videos in my apartment. So there's a man that loves a bit of gonzo journalism, you kind of feel this is a bit of the guerrilla vibe, the, you know, the, the lines aren't exactly crisp, they're a bit blurred.
2: It's like, um, it's a bit like, you know, when those old hobby radioists used to broadcast into like East Germany, this is us, you know, fighting the lockdown from uh, from our apartments. So, you yeah. know, we, what we lose in picture quality, we gain in freedom. Yeah, that's I like right. to compare myself to that. people that's,
0: I like to compare myself to people that smuggled in economic texts into East Germany. We are one in the same, oh, yeah. <laughs> those yeah, people yeah. and I. <laughs> anyway, uh, we want to talk to you because Peter Reid case came, uh, the decision came down from the federal court last week and it's a very bleak week for freedom of speech here in Australia and you are the person in the country that's followed this case more than anyone, you know more than anyone about this case so we want to talk to you and also get kind of a vibe of how the day unfolded. I know you were close to Peter and you are close to the people there so talk us through the actual day itself when the decision got uh, given out, what was that experience?
2: Yeah, well, look, it was it was an interesting day. So for background, uh, you know, we obviously had, uh, and I've been living and breathing Peter Reed ever since John commissioned me to sort of take over our research program in the area um, at the start of 2019. So last year we had the initial hearing at the Federal Circuit Court, which Peter won, and there was the, you know, the exuberance of that. And then uh, no sooner had that happened, the, the JCU, James Cook University, appealed the decision to the Federal Court and uh, the hearing was in May. And as you said last week, we got the result. Now, I'd sort of figured that it was a possibility that we'd lose. In fact, that we were likely to lose for for various reasons, Um, you know, due to the cross currents of the court and and all sorts of other things. Um, And the fact that, you know, JCU had wheeled out Brett Walker, SC, as barrister, so they certainly left no stone unturned. So I sort of knew it was coming, but you know, there's a difference between knowing something is coming and then having it actually happen. And then when I had to tweet and release the announcement about what happened uh, with Peter's case, it was it was gutting. I mean, you can't help but feel gutted when you put all this time towards a, a worthy sort of cause and then it uh, it ends up falling
1: flat. So that's surprising because I said earlier on the show that I as absolutely having no legal uh, expertise at all was surprised. I thought it was so cut and dry. I thought it was there in his employment contract. Uh, what was it that made you think that it wasn't going to happen? Like what made you th- sort of predict that outcome?
2: Well, look, there was there was a little bit of commentary in the media about the judge in first instance uh, who made the original decision. So there was always the uh, possibility that that would sort of... Um, you know, that, that would hang over the head of, of the, the subsequent hearings. Um, and, you know, following along in court, it, it wasn't, uh, you know, the, the, the judges, you know, you, you can never tell with judges because they do have to test pieces of evidence. They do have to, you know, be impartial and, and go down all sides. But I could sort of tell that we weren't getting the easiest time or Peter rather wasn't getting the easiest time um, in court and, and that it might not go his way in the end and uh and, and as i said jc they don't have completely no case uh, what james cook university were arguing was that you know the ac- right to academic freedom under peter's employment contract is one thing but um the he, he has to mitigate that against the the code of conduct which requires that he be collegial and respectful and uh and pleasant in the way that he he argues with his colleagues in effect. So, you know, I knew that they had a case. I didn't think it was a particularly strong case. And I don't think the court made the right decision, but like everything else that goes to litigation, there's a, a chance you can lose. So I was aware, uh, I was, I was live to that possibility and we got the, uh, the gutting result that we did. The other thing I'd add, of course, is that <clears throat> it wasn't unanimous judgment. There was a, a, a dissenting judge by a bloke named Justice Rangia who uh, recommended that the trial, that the appeal not go ahead and that it be punted back down to the Federal Circuit Court for a retrial. So it wasn't a clear-cut loss. It was, you know, a 2-1 decision. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's uh, you win some and you lose some.
0: You're very close to Peter. How did he take the news?
1: Look,
2: um, I think this has been hard on Peter throughout. I mean, it's easy enough to forget that you know for me it's something that i do as part of my responsibilities at the ipa and something that i feel strongly about and something i've loved working on um but for peter this is his life this is his legacy and it, by the time the high court hears this case it will be five years well over five years since um peter start first started being handed out by jc when they first started searching his emails and, and investigating him and and raising all sorts of complaints against him so um For him, it's been a very long-running saga. That has to take a toll on you. And then to go through all that and then after five years, you know, losing at one of the highest courts in the land, uh, it's gutting. Having said that, my sense from speaking to Peter subsequently is that he's fired up. I think he's got a lot of um, really good um, messages of support from, you know, IPA members and other concerned members of the public. So I think the momentum generated by this loss might be the thing to to sort of carry us to the, the high court hearing. And, uh, and and certainly, you know, Peter has relied on the financial support of a lot of people in Australia, but he's also relied on the moral support, and that's certainly come through. So, I think I think Peter is uh, is still match fit and still ready for a third time round uh, around the traps.
1: Well, that's great to hear that he's still uh, up and about. Uh, they can actually go to the pub up in Queensland, so that's probably made him feel better as well. Now, you paragraph ninety four uh, was the most. I guess controversial part of the judgment. We talked about it earlier on the show. What did you make of that?
2: Yeah, so para, para, paragraph ninety four. So we've already discussed paragraph ninety four. So this was sort of twenty minutes after the fact. Uh, you know, I'd had to. We put out the media release about the decision. I'd put out the tweet, and lunatics galore say, say ha suffer!" You know, climate deniers oh. get what's coming to them, etc. Oh, you know, it's Twitter. You know, you know how it is. So then I, I thought I should check out the judgment. So um, the legal team uh, emailed it to Peter, who sent it through to me, uh, and I had a look at it, and then I came across this bizarre part in which the court said, um, "Historical, it's, there's little use in in going over historical concepts of intellectual and academic freedom because what you know, Burke and uh, and um, Popper and all these you know philosophers wrote back in the day, it's being challenged by contemporary circumstances like social media and the need for for safe spaces." It was absolutely bizarre. This was a like court. Again, one of the highest courts in the land, basically saying, you know, free speech and academic freedom is great, but we have to take into account Twitter mobs. This is a, a court of Australia recognising Twitter lynch mobs as as being somehow valid, uh, and and it just stuck out for me as the complete. You know, we've known that cancel culture has contaminated our universities; it has it's been doing that for 20 years. But now courts of law in Australia are becoming infected. Also, this is actually on the verge of. Of achieving legal recognition, so the loss itself was bad, but the reasons for the loss and the court's discussion of a very important concept—in fact, the most important right of many—which is free speech—is uh, is being pared back and say, "Oh well, you know, free speech is great, but we can't offend people."
0: Well, not only are they making twin mobs valid, but they're making them more—I uh, don't know—more important than enlightenment workers who have. Enlightenment thinkers have been the underpinning of free societies for 200 years. Like, the Twitter mobs, that's now more of a precedent to set than the works of John Stuart Mill.
2: Yeah, correct. That's Which exactly what it is.
0: Disgusting. All right. Yeah. Uh, now, we are going to leave the red stuff there for the moment. Now, we're going to continue with a bit more of an in-depth look at the Peter Reed case, uh, and that's only going to be for IPA members. So we're going to be doing only that. content. Uh, Member-only content for sure. Sorry. Go, if you're not an IPA member, go to ipa.org.au slash join and use a promo code Ruben. The first 15 people to sign up will get a signed copy of his book plus a $55 membership. And even if you're not one of the first 15 to sign up, you are still going to get the uh, full IPA membership and a chance to listen to the rest of this interview. And if you want some more Peter Reed content, that's the best thing you can do for yourself right now because we're going to get into a lot of the, uh, the big issues that are at stake and how the Australian legal system came to this but we're going to move on to a few other topics at the moment so first up last week we had josh reidenberg uh said he was looking to thatcher and reagan for inspiration in coming out of restrictions now you had a rant on that on sky news last night we had a bit of a debate on that on the show previously i said sounds good let's see it peter was actually this is pretty good so where do you land on this
2: i think it's fantastic that the treasurer of the commonwealth has actually uh given credit where it's due to times of great growth in not just you know abstract turns of the economy, but times in which the shackles of state control and public ownership and rigid regulation were cast off and individual freedom powered what was one of the biggest uh, and most prosperous eras in human history. Um, the main importance of it for me, and, and you know, for Reagan and Thatcher, I mean, you ask every sort of young liberal who their heroes are, you know, it's Reagan and, that- Reagan and Thatcher, there's nothing particularly new in that. But what Reagan and Thatcher believed in was supply-side economics, you know, freeing up the private sector to produce more, to employ more people, to um, uh, and to create more wealth for the nation and the people in it. Um, it's very refreshing because what I've noticed lately is that the economic debate in Australia and indeed the world is so dominated by demand-side economics. And every time you turn on Sky, or, or you know, it's no common on Sky, but um, you know when you see somebody from the Labor Party in particular, or even business groups, quite frankly, and people who should know better, all the nation's economic woes are, are, are um, to be cured by you know more stimulus, more spending, chiefly on infrastructure, on throwing money at the construction industry, for example. Um, we're even seeing the, the growth or in popularity of what used to be a really fringe theory, which is modern modern monetary policy, which Kurt Wallace, I'm sure could speak a lot about. But basically it's idea that government debt isn't really a thing because governments control the currency and therefore they can just print more money and, uh, and create money when they spend it on things. I mean, it, it's just such a wacky um, field of thinking that's about to become mainstream. So anybody that gets away from this idea that just government pumping more cash into the economy Uh, is the cure-all to all our economic woes is is very very refreshing and it's good to see that in Josh Frydenberg's case this is his ideological or philosophical north star in um, working out the government's response to the uh, 21st century Great Depression which has been triggered by the response to the coronavirus pandemic.
1: Were you a bit disappointed Gideon that ScoMo watered it down and said we will have an Australian response and basically sort of put it to the sidelines?
2: Yeah of course but you know that that's textbook scomo uh scomo doesn't want to be drawn into you know these ideological debates you know for somewhat understandable reasons i suppose he doesn't want you know the 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 story about the coronavirus and his response to it and his economic plans to be sidetracked in some you know uh culture war from 40 years ago admittedly um but look i i think so I go up and down on ScoMo So he, he, he'll he say the right thing and then not do much and then he won't say the right thing and in this case do something that which is really really significant which is um, his ch- changes to the Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Comp- Conservation Act um, where he's massive or plans to massively deregulate um, environmental law to the extent that which has held back about 65 million billion dollars worth of investment we figured it out since uh, the year 2000 in the last 20 years. So. Um, you know, with, with Skyrim, I think we need to judge him on what he does, not what on necessarily on what he says, even though what he says is sometimes pretty good and pretty on point. Um, but, you know, look, he's, he's a prime minister trying to go along with this fiction of the national cabinet and national unity. And uh, he doesn't want to have a debate about, you know, uh, what Thatcher did in the 80s and, uh, you know, whether Reagan um, and his economic performance of the right thing to do so i guess that's understandable but uh as long as the end product is thatcher esque Ra- risk and reagan-esque then uh, then i can live with it
0: You're hey, fairer than me because i just go like you know you're a liberal prime minister i think wear the thatcher and reagan badge with pride because that's what everyone should be aspiring to right so, on even- yeah, yeah, so like I don't because, go there. I oh, oh, the don't Labor get Party, The
2: Labor Party, um, you know, they'll they'll mention Whitlam every five minutes, despite yeah. the fact that he plunged the country into debt so much they had to chase it, you know, with dubious offshore funds from Iran or something. Uh, the Whitlam government was a colossal failure, yet the mythology of Whitlam lives on. Now we have to um, talk about our heroes. We being the centre-right of politics. Now why don't we talk about the John Howard era when net debt was at zero, and again the country enjoyed a. a, a a, a massive uh level of prosperity and a great era of growth you know one thing one of my guilty ple- this is getting a bit off track so please feel free to pull me back in but one of my guilty pleasures during lockdown um and iso and everything else and netflix binging has been re-watching kath and kim which my girlfriend has only just <laughs> discovered and you know it's 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 a little bit of sneering about you know cashed up bogans and everything else but one thing i i, I was struck when looking at kath and kim again you know 20 odd years later is that there was such a thing as as the cashed up bogan um, at the time for people to laugh at. You know, the biggest problem facing this country was that too many tradies were buying too many flat screen TVs. I mean, I pined for that era, when the biggest problem with the country was was that people had too much money. Um, That was the Howard era for me, a time when people were comfortable and, and, um, you know, doing well and discovering new things. The tension in the show Kath and Kim was, you know, the Kath character discovering new things and mispronouncing them, but what, is unspoken is that the the boom and wealth that Australia enjoyed at the time allowed people like Cath Cath Day, Knee Knight, or whatever her name is, to you know expand their horizons and try new things and and live well. I think that's actually lost, uh, something that's been lost in the in the twenty odd years since.
1: It's all part of the left wing gaslighting of society. Yeah, to, to to think that Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher are somehow electoral poison when they won half a dozen elections between them like they uh, were very right. very popular politicians so the idea that there's some kind of extreme example is uh is a bit odd what we actually had a discussion earlier about how you'd think those politicians would have dealt with COVID. how do you think howard would have dealt with pandemic for example
2: oh how would how have dealt with the pandemic um geez that's a really good question i'm trying to I'm trying to think about any analogous issues. Well, like, I guess it's similar to Skymar. I mean, after the Port Arthur shooting, for example, going back to the beginning of his prime ministership, what did he do? He, he convened a national um, summit on gun laws, and uh, you know, I'm sure there'll be many views about this among the YIPA audience and the merits of it, but he got a national uniform package on guns and had it implemented you know, very, very quickly. Uh, what other major, uh, you know, Tampa and and September 11. I mean, he acted decisively and everything else. But I guess this this challenge is so new and so and I hate to use this word unprecedented. But you don't you don't know how some are unprecedented hundreds. times. Yeah, um, yeah, correct, unprecedented times. That horrible bingo card reeling itself off again. But um, look, well, that's a very good question. I'll have to I'll have to take that one notice, so
0: to speak. Yeah, I think there's, a, know I there's a spectator a, uh, article in that all right uh another topic we want to talk about so the black lives matter protests in sydney we recorded before it started and i don't know i kind of was right not a lot of people turned up whether that was the very clear policing that it wasn't going to be allowed to be going ahead or just the torrential rain that new south wales has been going through either one but certainly marked difference from the first protest to the second protest in terms of police response and the warnings from government and basically society in general so I don't know. I don't love the sight of the leaders of a peaceful protest being taken away by the police before the protest even starts. But what do you reckon, Gideon? Well, firstly,
2: um, what actually happened was um, Danica DiGiorgio from Sky uh, has been tweeting about this. What happened was as soon as the protest got underway, the the organiser was arrested and packed off in a divvy van. So after that, the crowd, you know, wet their pants and scattered. Surprise, surprise. So that's what happened. Um, Firstly, you know, uh, I didn't think necessary that Gladys had it in her to take such strong action, but apparently she has. So you have to give her credit for that. Look, my views are similar to yours, Bolton, that I've been very careful, and I've had to manage my own sense of schadenfreude with these people because, you know, I don't particularly like the kind of people that turn up at a Black Lives Matter protest, despite the fact that some of their concerns, I suppose, are valid. Um, But I don't like it when any protest gets shut down in in Australia. I don't think that's a good day for Australia at all. the right to protest is a, a very very important right but then again so is the right to go to work and earn a living so is the right quite frankly to be able to let your hair down and go off to the pub with family and friends um if ordinary australians are robbed of their very very basic rights to do very very basic and everyday things then it stands to reason that that law should be applied equally and that you know and, and even i as, as one of the biggest lockdown skeptics in australia will tell you that begrudgingly mass gatherings probably should be curtailed for the time being such as mass protests bottom line if you know if, if people can't go to the footy on the weekend they shouldn't be allowed to go to a mass protest either and the fact that people were ever allowed to get away with it uh just showed what a double standard uh these coronavirus restrictions have you know thousands of businesses have been sent to the wall people's lives have been ruined um you know, for the sake of that, we can we can not get so upset at a few you know ratbags marching around the streets of Melbourne or Sydney, uh, and I have to ventilate their frustrations with public policy in other ways, such as podcasts, I might add.
1: <laughs> it is a slightly different situation up there, Gideon. Like people, there are crowds of 500 people allowed at indoor events, and there are you know there are people going to the footy and stuff like that. Do you feel yeah, like true. they that that's they should true. have in, maybe in the first place been given the opportunity to protest based on that?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, look, whatever complies with the laws, and that's actually a really good point. I guess I'm approaching it more from the Black Lives Matter protest the first time around where there was a similar yeah. protest in Melbourne yeah. and Dan Andrews, you know, I mean, Dan Andrews this whole time has said, you know, if you if you go to that dinner party, you could kill people. If you yeah, play that don't game visit of golf, your you could kill people. If you go to work, you could kill people. If you play that game of back yeah cricket, you're a killer. Uh, and then when he was asked about Black Lives Matter, he said, oh, well, look, I have one piece of strong advice, don't go. Yeah, okay, well, look, you know, if it was really that big a deal, you would have sent in the bloody water cannons. The fact that he didn't <laughs> shows that, you know, Andrews uh, picks and chooses which parts of society he wants to drive a truck through. I've said all along that the way in which the hospitality sector has copped it, over this coronavirus response, uh, in particular, has been a great national crime, and uh, not only, you know, has it, as I said, thrown a lot of people out of work and ruined a lot of businesses that people have worked hard for. But the very cultural fabric of our cities and our country will change forever you know there might come a day one day um pete and james when you and i are sitting around saying oh remember recovered remember before the coronavirus you know there were all these beautiful restaurants you could get any food you wanted in melbourne you could get ethiopian you could get afghan oh those are the good old days before nobody wanted to open a restaurant anymore i mean that's the kind of world we might live in after this and as much as it sounds silly that a bloke like me is getting hot and bothered about the fact that i can't go and strap on the feed bag at places that I like to. These are the things that make a country livable. These are the things that make a society great. Um, it, 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 it fills me with great sadness that they'll be missing and not least of all, of course, all the great people who
0: work uh, very hard to make that possible for all of us. I am going to be pretty optimistic about it. I just think, like, you look at past terrible events like spanish flu world war one world war two and just the rush of economy that comes from that because you need to get people back to work and stuff like all this red tape that was there for environmental yeah. reasons or for other reasons or like union back kind of stuff the, 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 it, every idea for keeping it goes out the window just because there's so much suffering out there so i think i think five years from now there are just markedly less regulations on being able to open up a restaurant or being able to open up a small business in the are today and I think there's also an element of me telling myself that because the opposite yeah. is just too grim to think about.
2: No, you're right. And um, and that's what we're banking on. And look, if if, if uh, ScoMo and Josh really do have their hearts set on a Reagan-Thatcher type recovery, then you, you're probably right. And it will be morning in Australia again. But at the same time, uh, I don't think we've ever seen a, an expansion in government spending and indeed power over the most intimate aspects of our lives Certainly, in peacetime, that we've ever that we've seen in this coronavirus response, and history tells us that once governments, governments assume these powers, it is very difficult for, to get them to relinquish them. Especially when um, I, I reckon the medical establishment and the public health lobby will start saying, "Oh my God, the road toll went down during the coronavirus response. Oh my God, uh, hospitals didn't get as many people turning up, you know, after drunken incidents at the pub. If only we could just restrict driving and, and drinking and a few other things." going forward uh, you know we'll save so many lives and the economy will be better off and so on I mean you can see the script being written now so um, but look again my politics is coming into its own in this juncture I mean I've spent my entire adult life raging against what um, is now called referred to as big public health Uh, in many ways we are living under a dictatorship of of the public health lobby right now uh, and people hopefully hopefully will rise up against it because the the great stranglehold that self-proclaimed experts have over what we can, frankly, do to our own bodies uh, is 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 becoming desperately oppressive in this country and it's time for ordinary people to rise up against it.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting what's going to unfold in the next little bit of our political culture. You know, like the challenge for us as workers at the IPA will be to make sure that they do go down the Reagan-Thatcher uh, uh, path and, I guess, in terms of public health, go down the freedom path. Be interested to see what people like the general public think, you know, like, you know, if there's, will people be like, look what can happen. We need the government to look after us. Look what can happen. We can have a pandemic or will they be like, gee, that was terrible. Can we, you know, I want more freedom, not less. Let's look at all the mistakes the government's made. Um, do you know do you have any thoughts on which way that'll go i guess it'll go both ways really it, overall. It,
2: it's it, it's a you're, you're right Pep, that is our job it is our job you know the, who who was it that said history is written by the victors and there are already people who are claiming that the coronavirus is a failure of capitalism that it's a failure of uh, yeah. fact, you know daniel andrews this very morning uh, was was blaming his latest string of failures the horrible fatality rate where we are experience in the Victoria he was blaming it on private sector nursing homes absolutely his the, the fact that people were getting infected a few days ago he was blaming on the fact that insecure work means that people are going to sick if, even if going to work even if they're sick it's no secret that you know Andrews is no fool he knows that there's a you know he, he knows enough to um, not let a crisis go to waste so It's about uh, yeah. I I think out of this, uh, and and things are always more volatile when when you know the economy goes down the googler and people are are facing very very real human deprivation so we'll either end up with uh, you know deep distrust of of this or i should say healthy distrust of the state and government or we'll end up with um, bernie Standard style socialism i don't think there'll be any in between so freedom fighters it's time to get off the sidelines it's time to jump on you know social media and youtube and mm-hmm. everything else and start and start writing letters to the newspaper because we have you know uh, quiet australian and join the ipa no and join the ipa correct just 22 dollars um, uh, if you're in generation liberty
0: Get okay, Margaret cool. Thatcher What's that about tattoos? Anyway, uh, last question before we get into the paid content. So, uh, Sorry, the members only content, I should say. So, Gideon, you have been tweeting out a few of your own masks uh, now that <laughs> mandatory masks oh, yeah. have come in in Victoria and I've absolutely loved them and all I want to do is know where oh. I can get one. So, yeah, Gideon on. has left the camera so I'll for him side. as it gets no, back no, in. am Hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah. I was <laughs> you just
2: I'm not bloody Walter Cronkart. I can get up and wander around so um yeah, yeah James, so he's not actually, and this is an important point to make because people have been sort of lunging at me saying oh you know you're such a lockdown skeptics aren't you outraged we have to wear masks and i say look i look of course i'm upset that we have to wear masks under threat of fine in all situations and that the cops are going around trying to ping people i always hate it when we're fine for things in this in this country um but we should have been told to wear masks from the beginning we should not have um you know the, the Big public health before they made masks mandatory told us they didn't make a difference. So yeah. I think if given the choice, people would have worn masks and taken responsible care of themselves. Anyway, the, the whole point of me saying that was that I actually ordered these masks about a month ago and they arrived just as the um, law came into effect, because I've actually been thinking, you know, it's getting serious in Victoria. We need to actually um, prepare ourselves. So the one that set off the Twitter sphere was this number.
0: Hashtag end the lockdown for the people in, listening at home.
2: In the lockdown, or who can't serve my crappy, you know, so stock camera? Um, let's see. I've got. I loves his camera. I've got sack Andrews.
0: <laughs> this might be the I've, first podcast-based fashion show. Yeah, oh, oh, in well. history, this might be a brand new for the medium.
2: I've only worked for the RPA for three years. Why did it take us so long? Uh, end the lockdown <laughs> in blue. Match my eyes. So um, are these like
0: custom made, or can I actually get them? Because yeah, I love yeah, the no, end oh, the lockdown yeah, so I'll,
2: I'll talk about who made them in a sec. Um, this is reopen Melbourne, which is yeah, sort of more of a, you know, um, positive, more of a, you know, more of a nightlife, vibey hipster motif even got the, the humble hashtag there. And my personal favorite
0: liberate Victoria. Oh, that's a positive <laughs> message for the people.
2: Yeah, correct. We, we have to rise up because again, I make the point. Brett, Brett Sutton is the dictator of the state of Victoria right now. There's no democratic mandate. We are, we are under the thumb of big public health. We need to be liberated. So, oh yeah, who made them? So um, I got them off Etsy, E-T-S-Y. It's sort of an online store where you can, where all small independent sort of craft stores sell custom iPhone cases and things like that. I got so, your last
0: Chris Kringle present from uh, good old Etsy.
2: Oh, you did? Oh, but it didn't arrive yeah. in
0: time. Yeah, I didn't. So I had to go for a You got, some, me, but, you got uh, me
2: unofficial spleen merchandise and it didn't arrive. Uh, so yeah. you got me a, a framed photo of my, the love of my life uh, Ellie Mail on Twitter. Um, <laughs> yeah, your
0: favorite Twitter troll.
2: Oh, but my favorite. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm on a blocking spree, but I'll never block Ellie Mail. I'm, I'm too sentimental. Anyway, um, so, anyway, so I, got, I jumped on Etsy and found a store that was really, really good and made them to me and shipped them out from the UK. But just jump on and look for customized masks because, uh, as I said, it's one way we can be getting the message out. Get your, uh, you know, what, I'm going to, think about I'm going to order my next tranche I think tomorrow and I want to get one saying hashtag stay free instead of stay safe which is the sort of catch cry Mm -hmm. and I want to get one that says pubs not protests
0: oh good two messages anyone can rally around (laughs) okay so we're now gonna uh, end the interview for this podcast but we are gonna be starting to talk uh, available for members only on a bit more on Peter Red so if you are a member of the IPA Pete is gonna be in touch with you about how to listen to the rest of the interview but if you're not a member of the IPA head on over to ipa.org.au slash join use a promo code Ruben first 15 people to use that promo code will get a signed copy of Dave Ruben's book Don't Burn This Book plus a $55 membership even if you're not one of the first 15 people if you get a membership you will get the chance to listen to the rest of this interview so if you do care about peter reed if you do want to know more about the case more about the big issues that are going down and what's next you're going to want to hear the rest of this interview so uh we'll now go for people listening and for people watching right now we'll now go to the rest of the show now Thank you too, Gideon Rosner. So head on over to ipa.org.au slash join. If not already a member, if you are a member, Pete will be in touch shortly with how you can listen to the rest of that interview because we're going to get into some really big, 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 big boy thoughts about Peter Reard and the nature of academic freedom. I think that's how we're branding it. But
1: anyway, Pete. write some of that email, eh? uh, Let us get into Pete's Not Fine. All right, so this, for those that don't know, is the segment where... I have found it difficult to deal with all the fines that are throwing around because of COVID. So we saw, we made a segment called Pete's Not Finer that doesn't just include fines now, just includes anything crazy that's happening with COVID that is not too serious. Anyway, butter chicken guy revealed. We spoke to you last week about the bloke who drove from Werribee to Melbourne because he, uh, the Melbourne so CBS. 30Ks for people outside yeah. of Melbourne, yeah. 30Ks for those that, yeah, as you just said. Um, he's, he's been revealed. And the thing I like about this, James, he wasn't revealed by the Herald Sun or you know the Age or the Sydney Morning Herald. He was revealed by the Times of India. So the Times of India did their digging and found uh, where's his name, Noel Atkinson from Werribee, who uh, who drove all the way to the Melbourne CBD for butter chicken. I've been published in the Times of India, James. In case you're asking, um, two of Australia's so only...
0: finest exports, Peter Gregory and uh, Big Noel, the chicken lover.
1: That's right. They've only got about five hundred million um anyway so the guy's name noel atkinson uh said now the Pete, reason Pete, that he Pete, went- Pete, with all due respect to noel
0: atkinson uh when i said that i wanted more details about this story last week it wasn't the guy do we know the chicken
1: we do know the chicken if the guys the chicken shop is desi daba in the city uh and the reason that he, gave, he went to Desi-Darber is not because we were speculating last week about how good it was. He actually said, since it was after 11 p.m., all restaurants in my area were closed and I wanted to have buttered chicken. I reckon he's lucky he wasn't breath tested as if he hadn't had a few froffies. <laughs> yeah, he's say, like, oh, you know what all, I want? We've
0: all got hungry after a movie and thought, <laughs> yeah. you know what? I could really have a bit of food. Yeah. Uh, but man, 7-Eleven, which is 300 meters down the road, gets too far at some point. I don't know about a 30K <laughs> trip to wherever it be, but I'll he tell you what, I'm still chicken. trying the chicken. I'm still trying that, that chicken.
1: That sounds yeah. like some good chicken. They wouldn't uh, deliver. And he was a uh, he was actually pulled over meters before the restaurant. So he got so oh, close. That's, but that's, that's so sad. It's incredibly painful. Like he would have been driving for like half an hour. Uh, and anyway... Desi Darba have come to the party and they're going to give the bloke a year's supply of buttered chicken for free. And I've done some calculations and if the bloke goes there twice a week, he'll get his money back. Yeah, especially uh, on the on... 30K round trip on the petrol. So <laughs> yeah. and During lockdown as well, pretty smart by Desi Darba. Like it's actually yeah. illegal for him to visit them. But anyway, all's well that ends well and the Times of India, great paper. All right, fair enough. Uh, what else we got? Peace, not fine. Oh, that's right. I keep going here. Bunny's Carrot. Now, we've all seen the footage probably all around Australia, really, of the woman who tried to go to Bunnings over the weekend without a mask. She said, it's my right as a living woman to do what I want uh, and threatened to sue Bunnings for being in breach of the 1948 Charter of Human Rights. You are not authorised to ask me or question me about it. Karen, Bunnings, Karen, they definitely are. Uh, and they can definitely tell you to wear a mask before you go uh, in. Now, of course, this has gone viral on social media, James. Everyone has... James' camera almost fell over then. That's exciting. Uh, everyone's gone nuts on her, which I personally have found to be a little bit, uh, a little bit much for mine. Like we all know that this woman's wrong. You know, wear a mask, uh, and you know it, it doesn't. It's not in breach of her human rights to bunnies to make her wear a mask. And she's probably being a little bit silly, but this was the view held by the Victorian government, the Australian government, the American government, and the World Health Organization until five seconds ago. And now, when some crazy woman does it, it's like, oh, bunnies, Karen, what an idiot! Yeah, it's get like, with give the times, Karen. Yeah. Yeah, read the latest edict from the government that changed. Uh, and, and, of course, and, and, you know, Daniel Andrews commented on it and blah, 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 and Yeah, what do you think, mate? Yeah, I'm going kind of with you. It's just like, I don't, we don't know
0: all of Karen's circumstances. So mm. do you really want to add, add to the pylon of someone you don't know the backstory and yeah. don't know how they approach other topics as well? I'm going to get my wavelength of what I'm suggesting out here. But, mm. you know, it's just... Everyone wants to look good on social media. And if you call out Karen from Bunnings, then you look a bit better because you're not dumb. So congratulations and here's a gold star for not being dumb. So, uh, yeah. and look, but if the idea that comes out of this is that companies should be able to set who, and uh, companies should be have more freedom over who they can give service to and there's less discrimination law in Australia, then I'm all for it. Yep. If no, people exactly go, you right. can't sue Bunnings, good. All right. Uh, exactly next, right. to cake, next to wedding cake
1: shops, but yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and also I don't want to hear about how stupid you think carrot is, if you think the world's going to end in 12 years because of climate change. Like, oh, good point. COVID, COVID conspiracies are just, it's just climate change for poor people. Do you know what I mean? And climate change is just COVID conspiracies for rich people. There so, we go.
0: That's, give me a spell. <laughs> put that on the t-shirt. t-shirt. All right. Any other pizza on phones? Uh
1: Well, you've got one breaking into South Australia. Oh yeah, um, so it's like fine. that.
0: There was another one. It was, like, I think she was also deemed a Karen by social media. But the woman that like basically talked away way into South Australia by saying, "Have I committed a crime? Am I disrupting the public order?" Yeah, uh, and you know it, it's kind of hard to explain without showing the footage. But I think people have seen the footage. I think people know what I'm talking about. But eventually, she puts up such a fuss that the guy just gives up and waves her through, and she's in South Australia and she's breaking quarantine. So. You know, it's, an, it's another one of just like, I, I don't love adding to pylons of people that might not be all there and definitely don't film yourself committing a crime and then put it on social media. I don't know what that decision was, but underreported in this story is that it's apparently really easy. Like all you have to do is provide a marginal... <laughs> uh, disturbance to a police officer who eventually gets sick and tired of talking to you and goes all right no no matter what (laughs) like break the law but i guess that is modern policing if you uh if you just annoy the police into not wanting to do their job you can have as many protests as you want
1: yeah no that's that is surprising like i mean it's just as you effectively just said i'm not gonna say anything and then he went okay fine so maybe the borders aren't borders aren't as close as we think they are all right any more uh peace on fines that's all we've got for My Pizza Not's Fine, but I think we should do Brighton Lady Gets Her Own Insta, which... Oh, yeah, sorry, uh, I'll, I'll take this one. So Karen from Brighton, yeah. the original
0: Karen, the woman that complained about the fact that she'd already walked all of the streets of Brighton and was sick of the coronavirus lockdowns, became a meme. Daniel Andrews called her out at a press conference. Uh, she now has her own Instagram account, and she put up this post like two or three days ago, but it was like these three different slabs of beer, and she's just going, like, at least I've got lockdown with these... Which to me seemed a bit like a bit of a paid endorsement so i don't know if i talk about Sandman getting paid karen from brighton i like apparently if you're rich you're not allowed to be sad about coronavirus restrictions like you can't even let the mask slip for a second so the fact that she got pushed over pushed around on social media she got called out by the premier at a press conference who by the way uh, has some bigger issues than karen from brighton right now you would have thought but good to know that she's uh, now leaning into it. She's got the Instagram account, and she's apparently getting paid for sponsored that. So get yours.
1: Well, you know what? Good on Karen for turning lemonades. Oh, stuffed it up. Turning lemons into lemonades. You know. Oh, you know what? Everyone knows what I mean. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, like she, life threw her this thing where she was suddenly the the center of the whole state, giving her giving her garbage. So she's turned it into something good for her. Good on you, Daniel Andrews, for. Kicking someone while they're down and seeing if you can make some political currency out of it—you are such a hero as usual.
0: Yes. Uh,
1: all right. So, Pete, you
0: saw something. Uh, do we want to go to Seattle or do we want to go Captain Cook Hotel first? Oh,
1: let's let's go with Seattle. I feel like we need to, to, to go international a little bit here. Seattle blokes—I've called this Seattle blokes apartment destroyed. So, good heading, Pete. Last you month, the ES... pass line. <laughs> yes, that's true. Uh, last month, ESPN radio host Paul Gallant replied to President Donald Trump on Twitter. Uh, so like a lot of people do. Uh, the president was criticizing Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin for allowing the anarchists to take over the city. Paul Gallant said walked through it last night out of curiosity and saw no burning, pillaging, or deaths. Chill dog. Dog. How do you say that? D- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he said. I can't say it properly. Now, that was, <laughs> that was last night. That's a very month.
0: old moment for you, Pete. That's a bad look.
1: <laughs> Mate, right.
0: Anyway, let's don't keep mind. going with the young IPA podcast.
1: I don't mind. Being old, you know, like it's just, its I don't don't fight it. You're going to have to get used to it. (laughs) Uh, So July 26, he tweeted, came home to my apartment complex. The Starbucks underneath has been destroyed and cops are telling us to stay away in case something explosive is inside. He went on to say, I feel like I need to buy a firearm because clearly this is going to keep happening. Enough is enough. It looks like a block party down the street from me, really angry right now. Hey, chill out, dog, dog, whatever it is. Don't worry about it. So, James records I'm being a bit harsh, which I probably am. Yeah,
0: a guy's James- apartment got destroyed. <laughs> like, everyone's just like, oh, I'll look. <laughs> like, that's basically the idea. Chill out. A guy's <laughs> apartment got destroyed. But maybe a bit more sympathy would be all right.
1: Nah, look, James is right. It's, it's, I'm not condoning the destruction of the apartments of people who have different politics to me. Uh, and in his defense, he did right. Woke up to a bunch of people tweeting chill dog at me. I laughed. So, he's, you know, good sport. I said what I originally said five weeks ago. Anyway, blah, 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 blah. So, he was a good sport about it. Uh, okay good there you go and you've All convinced right. me i was being captain guitarist. cook hotel well, okay yep captain cook hotel now the reason why i'm doing this story is because i'm convinced that this is the same pub that I, well i'm not convinced so i know that this is the same pub i had a thousand froths in before the 2017 a league grand final which the mighty vuck lost on penalties oh uh, there were a few more afterwards as well oh there were there are a few more <laughs> afterwards Now, this is a pub in Sydney next to the SCG, which all our Sydney people will know. Uh, The story was that they changed their name from Captain Cook to Captain Paddington. Um, And because it's a bit of an institution, it's kind of like the Younger Jackson in Melbourne. Uh, They couldn't just do it under the radar. Like everyone sort of realised that it had happened. A lot of people cracked it. Latham was in the paper about it. Dr. Debrera from the IPA, of course, was uh, saying this was virtue signaling, blah, 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 blah. They changed their name from Captain Cook to Captain Paddington. I jumped on their website last night and they reckon that actually they didn't change the name of the hotel for, you know, social justice because they don't like genocide or whatever it is. they said, we're really surprised by this right now regarding the name change. The hotel remains the Captain Cook Hotel and all the original signage as well as the statue atop the roof. It's just the food and beverage service, i.e. Oh yeah, the restaurant or whatever, that has been changed. Do you buy that? Wait, change to Captain Paddington or just... Uh Changed to
0: the Captain So where did Paddington? Captain Paddington come from? Oh, the I Captain I think it's Paddington. in Paddington. All right. Oh, okay. So yeah, that's what I was thinking because... I, look, as, as long as the name change, name stays the same, I don't really care if it was, you know, this misinformation or they just backed down. But one thing I will say, if they were thinking about changing it to Captain Paddington because of sensibility, uh, modern sensitivities, I guess, hmm. like Paddington the Bear, was a bear that literally spent his day around children while not wearing pants. <laughs> like, if anything should be cancelled, yeah. Like, I don't know if that's a hero. Not all canceling is bad. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, I just I, I doubted the name changed to Paddington. I'm not so sure that they didn't. Am I getting Paddington confused with Winnie the Pooh? What was Paddington's no. What is Paddington's
1: uh, Get up policy on pants? I don't know. I know I'm that Winnie Google the Pooh list. definitely didn't wear pants, but you Google that. I think that yeah. I'm not so sure. I reckon they've done it, and now they're sort of backing down a bit because they describe themselves as a community-driven hotel. It's like, what the hell is that? I mean, that smacks of someone who would change the name of. Um, the pub from Captain Cook to Captain Paddington. And as I said, it's a bit of an institution. It's like if the young Injection just suddenly decided to call themselves the Organic Wombat or something like that. So that's why they weren't able to escape uh, escape notice. Now, have you finished Googling yet, James? Because I'm running uh, out of... I'm no, running out of here.
0: Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing about a 50-50 policy on pants, to be honest. So Well, that's not... I mean, it's got to be 100%. i am going to stand by my thought because it should be 100-0. Now. Any pants policy around people you don't know Is 100% wear the pants So uh, the right, last Patience one you've got to change your name again Last one I've got So I mean we all know that Donald Trump loves a nickname And Democrats have decided to fight fire with fire On a few different times it Hasn't really stuck hmm. uh, Do we reckon this one's going to stick Sorry, Nancy Pelosi says she has a new name for President Trump Here we go Mr Make Matters Worse Possibly the least zany character of the Mister Man universe, but uh, not exactly Mister Tickle or Mister Longlegs, or but Mister Make Matters Worse. Where How do we reckon is, that's going to go?
1: Where is her staff saying, Nancy, this is not a good idea? Because they just- have a staff that says, Nancy, this is a good idea. <laughs> that is a stinker. Look if you haven't got the nicknames thing, just don't do it. You know, like don't just, pretend you've got the nicknames thing. It's yeah. like calling him, you know, Mr. Suboptimal Outcomes or something like, it's just, it's just not <laughs> that's, that. That's, that's, that's actually not bad. It's a good name Mr. for a. Mr. Suboptimal.
0: Man, yeah. Sub-opt- Mr. Suboptimal Outcomes. Uh, so I've got, I, like, I, honestly, I never thought they would actually do worse than Drumpf. Like the people that try to make Drumpf a thing. Oh, what was that that he was dumb? No, no, it was like his old family name before they moved to America, and it was Trump. So they wanted to just ah. start calling him Trump, and it was like, really, that's 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 going
1: to bring him down. That's going to bring bring down the vast Trump conspiracy. So you're sort of sort of, yeah, just making fun of his ethnic name. That seems a bit racist. But um, I've got a couple. Oh, okay, here we go. Oh, no. okay, yeah, I'll go. I'll go do these first. Dopey Donald. Go, Terrib- terrible Trump. <laughs> I still like Dopey Donald. I think Dopey's like
0: Dopey. There's like a lack of intelligence, like terrible. You know, Ivan the Terrible is still a smart guy. He's just terrible. But Dopey is just disappointing. What is uh, what does she call? What does he call her? Crazy Nancy. Something like that. that Half the people he's he's lost his touch. I got to say, like 2016 was a golden era of Trump nicknames, and now he only seems to use crazy. So. I don't know if it's hitting the same.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's hard to sort of, it's hard to keep going, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Eventually, even the best albums only have a few, uh, even the best bands have only a few good albums in them and then it kind of dissipates.
1: And there's lots of coaches that are good for a couple of years and then it fades. Anyway, you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, Did you have any or not? No, I didn't. Um, I was just going to hit it, make matters worse and then end
0: the show. But we've started Googling Paddington pantsless and... (laughs) started ruminating on the uh the terrible and endless march of time so i think we should probably end the show there. <laughs> that's not what that was that's not what that was <laughs> maybe i'm just interpreting it like that what that you- is it for the show oh sorry what do you think about death james uh th- you know, it happens. That is it for the show this week. Uh, thank you to Gideon Rosner for the interview. Remember to head on over to uh, ipa.org.au if you're not already a member so you can listen to the rest of it if you want to learn more about Peter Red. Make sure you're listening to all the other podcasts we've got around here. Looking Forward podcast, obviously, every week. Australia's Future with Tony Abbott and John Roscomb and Five Favorite Books with Dr. Bella De Brera. Also got Viral banter. Shouldn't forget to mention that. That is coming out on the Generation Liberty Facebook page and you can also download that wherever you're listening to this right now if you like this show make sure you're telling your friends and family about it make sure you spread the word and leave us a review on itunes or apple podcasts uh not so much to do with ratings but i do like looking at them because it makes me feel happy inside so please do that that is it for the show this week i think we'll see you next yeah we'll see you next week Say up.